first reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 3, reading from verse 1 to verse 14. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains for me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and have found in him not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And the second reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 6 reading from verse 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters Either you'll uh, hate the one 
and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Morning, everyone. We've been praying for our dear sister Tina um, for a few weeks now. You'll be delighted to hear, for those who don't know, that she, um, she was able to come to church this morning. That's a great answer to prayer, isn't it? The Lord's kind. He hears our prayers. He answers our prayers. Well, here we are again. It's uh, the middle of our commitment month. We're in talk three. Oh, oh look at that. Lord, no. Talk three of five. Thank you, Jesus. Technology. <laughs> so tentative. We're in talk three of five in our commitment series, All to Jesus. And um, I want us to begin by thinking of um, uh, this idea that we had um, from Jim Collins. You recall that we talked about the Stockdale Paradox in his book, Good, for Gr uh, Good to Great. Um, in his book, he says that productive change takes place when you confront the brutal facts. And uh, every individual or organization, he said, needs to uh, take an unwavering faith posture. We can and we will prevail only if we face the brutal facts with discipline. And uh, in fact, Jim Collins wrote a foreword to a, a, a book uh, by another fellow called Bob Buford. You're going to get a few of these. Um, this was called Half Time, Moving from Success to Significance, written in 1995. Um, Buford said, success comes when you use your experience and resources to satisfy yourself. Significance is when you use experience and resources to change the lives of others. And then uh, a protege of Buford, a guy called Lloyd Reeb, uh, wrote a companion book called Success to Significance. And he notes how you don't need to be rich to have a life that matters. Success is good, but having a valuable life is more important. You've reached a measure of success over the first part of your life, but you really want to have a second part mean more. And then does anybody know John Maxwell? John Maxwell's written a number of, uh, I found, good books. Um, he seemed to join in then with the journey from success to significance in 2004. I wonder if these guys actually got together in a room and just got away, let's write a bunch of books. Anyway, it's funny how they leverage off one another, but he very helpfully notes that true significance is only found by living in relationship with God and by using one's energy and influence to pass along God's love to others. Now, to tie those threads together, of course, last week we were reminded that God's Son, Jesus, came in humility for the love of others. And this commitment month in our series, we are facing facts as fig tree. We have considered the fact that um, we are ordered Jesus for excellence. We are ordered Jesus for everyone. But we've done this in the context of some brutal facts some of which encourage us, some of which challenge us, and some of which um, just muddle us. But our faith is in the end game, our faith in the end game, because we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we look at these brutal facts in the context of knowing that God is sovereign, He's in control, that God has lavished His love upon us as His people, because He has given His only Son that our sins might be forgiven. 
And we know from God's Word that Jesus has been resurrected to new life. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father where God has exalted Him, and He will come again to take His people to be with Him for all eternity. And He waits for us. And so as we consider this series and think today, order Jesus for everything, order Jesus for everything. We've thought about excellence and everyone, and today we move up to everything. There's a verse from our reading that I want us to have in mind, and it's this. Forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, whenever we open the Word of God, we need His help. I'm not on best form today for a bunch of reasons. I need his help. You might have come from a place where you're still feeling a bit sleepy or distracted. You need his help. Why don't we seek his help? Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we do confess that true significance is only found by living in relationship with you and by using the energy and the influence that you've given to us to pass your love on to others. So please help us. Help us to give in faith from everything that you've entrusted to us as your children. We give back to you in repentance from lives that we know so frequently are gripped by earthly concerns and earthly wealth. So we pray that you'd move our stubborn hearts from temporal success to eternal significance. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, three points today. You'll notice over recent weeks that we have been very much data-driven. Welcome again to the Star Trek android, Mr. Data. He knows and loves the facts, and I'm so glad that so many of you construction engineers and mathematicians and the like have said how thankful they are for the data. Uh, facts are good. The instruments in the cockpit save us from hitting the mountain in fog because if you can see on the instruments that we are descending too quickly, we need to increase altitude. And so we trust the data. And we have been given some tough data, some brutal facts as we commit ourselves to 2024 as a church. But we feel the pain and we press into it and we press on in faith and prayerful discipline. Now, for the most part so far, we've been looking at data that has come from our NCLS, that is the National Church Life Survey. And we've seen how those results have been results for our local church and the Sydney Diocese and beyond. And uh, there are a few points of data that I can share with you today when we think about everything uh, that have come from the NCLS. In fact, I'm just going to show you a couple of slides here because you have answered, we have answered between tw uh, 2001 and 2021, uh, a question relating to whether we've helped someone through a personal crisis. And about 50% of us have said in the last year on each of those samples, yeah, we've helped somebody through a personal crisis. Uh, one of the other questions asks, have you lent or given money to somebody outside your family? And there's been uh, around 30 to then 50% with a bit of growth in that space. Um, you know, who knows what the catalysts are? But that's certainly a, a posture of the heart. Um, the next question related to having given some of our possessions to someone in need, 
You remember, of course, that the 100% at the end is aspirational, and I had to put in that number so that we could make the chart work properly. Uh, there it is. We've been around sort of late 40s in terms of um, the number of us as a percentage who have given some of our possessions to someone in need. And finally, donations to a charitable organization have continued at around 75 to 80% of those of us who are members of this church over the years. And for the encouragement, each of those numbers, when compared to the rest of the Sydney Diocese, and then certainly when compared to churches across the nation, um, Victory Anglican Church is up there. We're above average in terms of those concerns. And that's something for which I think we can be thankful. So, so far we've been reliant... Oh. Uh. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. All right. We're back, in, we're back on track. I just lost a signal. It's come back. So far, we've been relying on the NCLS data, which is good and reliable. But what that data does not do is look at our income and expenditure and the stuff that goes on monetarily here at Figtree. But we do have some information. We have some data sources that have been used by uh, wardens and members of parish council and some of our ministry team that put together uh, a very helpful profile of our finances for a big meeting last year. And I do want to thank those guys for their very careful analysis with our finance team. So you recall, and this is our data, uh, that we had some brutal facts about our attendance dropping over the last uh, 20 years. I shared that with you last week. If you're here for the first time and hearing this for the first time, um, the, the brutal facts are that since 2001, we have declined from being over 1,000 weekly average service attendants to less than 500 across the whole church. And that's sobering, isn't it? But in the midst of that information, I share with you today that since 2004, in terms of our church finances, our offertory revenue has been increasing in a positive direction. We have been steadily giving more. However, the value of money changes over time. And so we need to levelize those figures according to factors like inflation. And we look at that data and see that in terms of our giving, the actual value of our giving has dropped over that period. And yet, this is like the pendulum swinging, isn't it? And yet, the good news is that individual giving has been increasing over these years. And so what we see then is that the increasing generosity that God has imbued in our hearts, and I'll give you a simpler, because that's quite a big complex diagram, it's summarized in this one, uh, per person we've been increasingly giving more and more to ministry and mission, and there is much to be thankful for there. In fact, there's been a significant lift in our mission giving since the World Mission Conference. And when it comes to the annual gift day that we have, uh, we also see a culture of commitment to uh, altruism and ambition for the future. So things to celebrate together. But brothers and sisters, how easy it is in life to see our joyful commitment being undermined by others or self-sabotaged. And the question as we move into 2024 is, how might that be so for us? And this is where we press into uh, Jesus for 
everything, not everyone. I'm sorry about my typographical there. Uh, and we, as we'll look together at Philippians 3, verses 1 to 14. If you want to have your Bibles open, it will come up on screen, but you can follow along. Um, I, I want to ask you a little question first, though. What kind of person really annoys you? <laughs> Who is it that really irritates you? What sort of qualities do you look for in a person to go, yeah, you're going to annoy me? Because this is how Paul starts here. He says, this is the sort of person who annoys me. And the sort of person who annoys Paul is somebody who will undermine the gospel. The gospel can be undermined in the life of those who follow Jesus. We can lose our faith. It can be in the realm of intellectual doubt. It can be in the realm of moral failure. And sometimes it can be that legalistic attitude where we just feel like we've got to work a little bit harder to get closer to Jesus. Or maybe we think to ourselves, we've got to do all the work. But uh, these things tend to draw our hearts away from our first love, who is Jesus. And Paul is so concerned for the Philippians having their faith in the gospel undermined that he doesn't just say those words, you know, the song how it goes, um, don't worry, be happy. He doesn't just say that to the Philippians, that would be vacuous. He, he encourages them and us to rejoice in Christ. He says, Jesus Christ is the source of not happiness, but joy, deep, enduring joy. And that joy in the Philippians and that joy in us should just overflow. This joy of being in Christ, this wonderful joy of being in relationship with our Savior and Lord. Especially when the world tells us that we are to have confidence in earthly treasures. Now, Paul calls in verse 2 these people dogs. He says they're evildoers. He calls them mutilators of the flesh. And he goes on in verses 3 to 9 to describe how they infiltrate the church. And they tell people in Philippians that they need to take on the demands of the Jewish law if they're to be truly saved. And he's so hard on this teaching because it's not just a harmless addition to Christ. Because anything and everything that takes first place priority in the life of Jesus' followers will undermine the gospel of salvation by grace alone. That's the effect. The moment that we begin to add to the gospel any little or big thing, we begin to undermine the gospel itself and our confidence in it, and so we destroy it. Why do you think it is that we so easily revert to a legalistic mindset that we bring something to the party? Why? Because faith is unnatural. It is unnatural because we want to be in control. You know, talking of cockpits and flying, my daughter's up in Brisbane at the moment on, on an adventure with her school and she flies back tonight and I, I'm the one who wants to be there in the cockpit flying her. Of course, I don't, because I haven't got a clue how to fly a plane, but you know what I mean. I, I want to be in control of her safety and security. I want to be in control. We, we would rather, wouldn't we, trust ourselves than anybody else? Because in the end, we always want to do things our own way, and we underestimate our own sinfulness. And one way in which we do this is we express this confidence in our capacity for self-sufficiency. We invest in health. We invest in education. 
we invest and it's wealth building so that these will inevitably compete for our confidence above all in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul was, Paul was able to overcome this despite his reasons for confidence in the flesh, verses 4 to 6. And I wonder what pressures you place on yourself as a follower of Jesus to undermine faith. Because the moment that we start to put confidence in our money or our skills and competency or the network and the relationships that we have, we begin to diminish our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, in verses 7 to 9, we see how any profit in these earthly things are actually to our loss. The Apostle Paul gives this example of himself and all those earthly credentials. And he basically says, now that I know Jesus Christ, I want to take all that really good earthly stuff and I just want to put it in, in the toilet and flush it away. Such is knowing Jesus. Jesus is best. The right standing with God that we have is because Jesus is best. We don't bring about our own righteousness before God in any way. It's, it's our faithful dependence upon Jesus and what he has done. It's nothing about what we can achieve or contribute. The very nature of faith puts confidence in another person. And just in case we get a bit twitchy about the whole, I've got good faith going on, or I wish I had your faith, faith in and of itself is a gift from God. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him better and better. And then he, in 10 to 11, lists the joys of being united with Christ by faith. And, and what are his joys? He says, I, I want to know Christ, yes. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death. And so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. And we read this, and when we do it honestly, we go, what? I know you raise an eyebrow to that. I want to suffer. I want to know death like Jesus knows. No, you don't, surely. But I think what Paul's saying is the power of the resurrection will, by the power of his spirit in us, conform us and Paul to God's will for our lives to know what is best. And, and actually, the fellowship that we share in suffering with Jesus as he was persecuted, that helps us to know our Savior's experience better and to have that wonderful sense of solidarity with him. Knowing him means living life in view of the end and persevering in our resurrection hope. Jesus took hold of us in the gospel so that we might be perfected in our lifetimes, made day by day a little bit more like him. And for this, God has called us heavenward, to press on to win the prize. And we look at each other and go, what's that prize, eh? You look at your, your preacher and you say, what's that, what's that prize, Robin? And I say to you, well, I don't know. <laughs> what's the prize? I've got a few ideas. I can, I can delve into the scriptures. I'll share some of the things I've found that it might be. It might be those lovely words from the Lord Jesus that we read about in Luke 19. Well done. Might be, might be that commendation. That's a good prize, isn't it? You reckon? 
Maybe, maybe it's, it's an award or a reward of some sort, as we read about in 2 Timothy 4.8, but Paul doesn't elaborate in that either. So I, I don't know what kind of gift I'm going to appreciate when I meet Jesus by way of a reward, but it might, as 1 Peter 5 tells us, be that moment when we go to meet the great shepherd himself and the prize is actually in meeting Jesus face to face. Can you imagine that moment? Or it might be that we read about in Revelation 22. And every time I think about this, it gives me shivers. The moment where we know that we are known fully by him. To be known completely by the Lord Jesus Christ. That might be the prize. Maybe in 1 Thessalonians 4, it'll be the unending presence of being with Jesus himself. I don't know what the prize is, but I like the sound of all of those, don't you? The problem is that, you see, what we did there is we read God's promises and we started to lift our eyes and our minds and our hearts to Jesus, didn't we? Do you notice what happened in your heart? You kind of felt a bit detached, didn't you, from earthly things. And this is the problem we face in this world. The more we focus on Jesus and tighten our grip on what's coming with him, the more we loosen our grip on the earthly things. But you know what the contrast is? The more we tighten our grip on earthly things, the more we turn our eyes away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that your experience? It's certainly mine. The more earthly focused we get, it's a deadly temptation. One area in which we're easily susceptible is this self-sufficiency in our success. I mean, it's okay to be succeeding now, but how do we look at success now in the light of eternal significance? That, that this earthly success might serve eternity. And, and my final thought is, well, tithes. I'm sorry about my um, spell check being cheeky times no we're dealing with time in two weeks time tithes and treasures aren't everything are they do you know um in the world of mr data and star trek they've moved on if you haven't started watching the series yet because i talk about it a fair bit uh what you'll find is that there's no currency there there's no currency they've they've done away with money they don't need it anymore um everything's shared Everything is owned in common. Everything is used for the good of all. Can you imagine that situation in our world? Can you even conceive of that happening in our world? Unthinkable, isn't it? I found this a strange idea until I was reminded of those passages that we read in Acts 2 and 4, where we read that the early church of the Lord Jesus, there were no needy persons amongst them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales so that no one would go without. Do you know the very first job I had was cleaning windows down my street? Can you remember your first job? Can you remember the first time that you did your first job and you got your first wage? I remember I got 20 pence for cleaning windows. I earned it. It's mine, my money. I earned it. I could invest it. You know, what what would you invest in here in Australia? What's the big thing that we all want here? It's land, isn't it? Bit of land. 
Get ourselves a bit of land in Australia. That's the, living the dream, isn't it? Isn't that right? Living the dream, buying some land. I mean, <laughs> why would I? I get land and get a house here one day, God please. And why, why, why would I then sell it and give the money to other people? Why would you do that, eh? Something big's got to motivate the heart. But you know what? Right now, brothers and sisters, we're sitting in a building that was exactly that. And there's one or two in this room here who did that a couple of decades ago. They gave over their property and land and houses and remortgaged and made it possible for this facility to exist. We are building on the shoulders of hearts that give all to Jesus. Isn't that right? I mean, there are so many words of wisdom in the Bible concerning money and our attitude to money. Very little is said about how we should actually use or spend it in this situation. That requires prayerful discernment and wisdom. But a great deal is said about our hearts in relation to the dollars and cents. There's so much that I can't deal with it all. So I just thought I'd have it kind of rolling on the screen behind us as we hear the words of my mouth. You can see the scriptures and see how God teaches us in his word to seek and honor him first, that our heart's delight would be in him and that Jesus has given us life and riches in an eternal kingdom. And he says, during this life, all the material stuff, give it sacrificially in the context of eternity. He says, Matthew 6, 19 to 21, don't store up treasures on earth. Moths, vermin, robbers, take it all, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where there is none of this destruction. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Tithes are monies that we give for church ministry. Treasures describe all our God given assets. And, brothers and sisters, we are so wealthy. In world terms, all of us in this room, without exception, are in the top 5% of wealth in this world and yet we are in danger of leaving an intergenerational debt for our children and their children now over one trillion australian dollars in australia and this is for people who are told by the lord jesus those who are rich in christ are called to go and sell and give and follow some of us give a tithe of 10% of our income because that's a nice, clean Old Testament way to look at giving. 10% for the church family ministry. But I don't know whether you've done your homework and seen this, but a tithe technically would be 10% for the ministry in the temple, then 10% for the festivals and the celebrations, and then 10% every third year for those who are in need. That's according to Leviticus 27, Numbers 18, Deuteronomy 14, 1 Chronicles 29, and Proverbs 3. You can watch the video back if you want to look those up but I wonder what God would say to us in that regard because a faithful tribe then looks like 23% of income gross or net you choose look I, man you and I we need to do a little audit don't we I'm going to do this visibly I'm going to show you the Kinstead family budget here you go An audit of, you don't normally get to see this, an audit of the things we're actually spending. I might have taken a few liberties here. But you see the sort of stuff, I imagine that you've probably got a similar arrangement. I know you're not seeing the real thing. But the Lord does. So, you know, we put a big amount of money into the house, don't we? We put a big amount of money into, I do like Jesus. 
Somebody earlier said, uh, you know what to get Robin for his, uh, for his birthday or for Christmas. Um, we spend too much on streaming services, I think. We spend, well, we do put money into the, the plate, and um, by God's grace, it's a privilege to do that. But we also pay for school. I do jujitsu, and we pay for that. But, you know, this year with Sarah and with the Lord and the family, I'll probably make a few amendments. So we might do something a little bit like this. <laughs> you know, there's the challenge. How much can I give to ministry and mission and maybe reduce my cheese intake? Maybe those streaming services could become not streaming services. Look, at the end of the day, Jesus said, don't go building bigger barns. Because your life may be demanded of you. So what might we do by way of a good balanced budget in this year ahead? Here's another way forward. Inflation is high. The average weekly food bill is really increasing. You know, just yesterday, my wife went and did the, the shop, and she was chatting to the lady on the till, so she should know what the difference is and her comment was in the last year or so she's seen the increase of the cost of a normal weekly shop for the families coming through going from 300 to 500 dollars just post-covid that's what she's witnessed so it's a small data sample but you hear what i'm saying well it's getting tough isn't it it is getting really tough you know, I think we spend more on tutoring than, and travel than ever before, but, but there's always changes because we can make changes, remembering that every second and every cent belongs to Jesus. Actually, let me just share this with you. For those who remember, I shared this last year, but I really like this. Can we make sure we've got the sound up, folks? Thank you. So this is uh, a little video. Oh, I couldn't. Well, maybe just a bite. Get the interest. the pie.
is his pie. We've talked about living legacy, what it is in terms of the wealth that God's entrusted to us day by day. And I think it's good for us to have an annual review with the Lord uh, in giving from our income. But I also have really been challenged recently to think into what it means when we retire. Because you and I, for the most part, will have a superannuation fund. There are beneficiaries for that fund. Mostly we just sort of walk into it and think to ourselves, well, that's the money that's going to sustain me and mine till I meet the Lord Jesus. But a retiring reward requires a plan. And so perhaps you would be with the Lord, willing to consider the possibility of a co-beneficiary, not just being your immediate family, but maybe the church family to which you belong. And here's one that's going to really sting or maybe encourage, I don't know, depends on you. Because at the end of the day, we're going to go home. When the Lord Jesus calls us home, there is a homecoming inheritance. And so this requires a lawyer. I don't know why we don't do this in the Anglican Church. Most other denominations do. We talk openly about the opportunity for a bequest from our estate. Because when we go to be with the Lord Jesus and we die here... There is an estate that needs to be dispersed, and I wonder whether you have given consideration to uh, this going to not just your family, but also the church family, and how a bequest would help with ministry and mission. I mean, the big question that comes behind all of these is what heart surgery must God do in me to see that everything belongs to Jesus, all to Jesus? We're for Jesus, but surely not everything. But Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Will you undertake with me to do an audit, maybe this week or in preparation for the year ahead, that the Lord might be given full access to our hearts and that we might desire what he desires. Let's pray together. Everything is yours, Lord God. Order Jesus, I surrender. Humbly at your feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to you, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Amen.